Well, if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, let me encourage you to turn with me to two passages of Scripture, Psalm 26, right there in the middle of your Bible, and then turn over to the right to the book of Jeremiah. It's one of those prophetic books in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 17. Psalm 26, hold your finger there, and then turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. In my lifetime, I've probably made hundreds of of resolutions, resolutions of all kinds. Some of them have been serious resolutions. Some of them have been not so serious resolutions. I've made resolutions about what I was going to eat. I've made resolutions about my workout habits. I've made resolutions about my spiritual disciplines. I've made all kinds of resolutions. And here's what every one of them have in common. I've broken every one of them. Now, now I, 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 I'm sad to admit that, and it embarrasses me, but the truth of the matter is, I've broken every resolution I've ever made. Now, some of you are going to call me a failure. Some of you are going to say, well, he's weak-willed, and, and that may be true, but the good news is I'm in good company. Because every year... On New Year's Day, millions of people make resolutions, and by Valentine's Day, 80% of them break those resolutions. 80% admit to breaking the resolutions. And truth be known, if you and I were honest this morning, I think every one of us would have to admit at some time or another We've made resolutions, resolutions that we desire to keep, resolutions of things we wanted to do or things we no longer wanted to do, and we wanted to keep those resolutions, but the truth is we failed. We messed up. We blew it. This month, we're trying to answer that question, is change possible? Can I change? Because you see, the truth is, we don't need to make more resolutions. We don't need to make better resolutions because obviously they don't work. And so is it possible to change? Now here's what the Bible says. On your own, in your own power, in your own strength, you will never be able to change. Jeremiah said this. He said, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change? change its spots. And then Jeremiah says this, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. In other words, you can't change yourself. But here's the good news. What you can never do on your own for yourself, God can do in you and through you and for you through the power of his Holy Spirit. Paul said it this way, it is God Working in you, giving you the desire and giving you the power to do what pleases Him. You see, when we surrender our will to God's will, when, when we surrender our power to God's power, we begin to experience lasting change in our life. And so what we need is not a resolution. What we need is a revolution that changes us from the inside out. Now, last week, we discovered that that change begins in our heart. Now, understand, biblically, 
The heart is not just a muscle that, that pumps blood throughout our body. Biblically, the heart is the center of who you are. The heart is the place from which our desires flow. The heart is the place from which our emotions originate. And that's why the Bible tells us to guard our heart. Because our heart is the wellspring of life. And so if you want lasting change, the only way to experience that lasting change is to let God change your heart. But understand, even though our heart is the place where our desires originate, the heart is not the place where our desires percolate. And so if we want change, if we want lasting change, we not must not only see our heart changed, we must see our mind change. You see, the heart directs the mind. But the truth is, it doesn't control the mind. Let me say that again. The heart directs the mind, but it does not control the mind. My heart may point me in a certain direction, but my mind still has the power to say no. I would rather focus my attention over here or over here. And so that's why there are times in our life where we feel conflicted. We, we feel like there's this, this battle raging within us because our heart is longing for one thing, but because of the, the temptations of this world, our mind begins to focus on something else. That's why the Bible makes it clear that God is concerned with not only our heart, God is concerned with our mind. And God examines not only our heart, God examines the mind. Listen to what David said in Psalm 26. He said, test me, Lord. Try me. Examine my heart and my mind. He said, God, I'm an open book. I want you to look at my heart. I want you to look at my mind. And I want you to see if there is anything in either of them that is not as it should be. In Jeremiah 17, God said to Jeremiah the prophet, I, the Lord, search the heart. I examine the mind. To reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Now, notice what God said to Jeremiah. God said, I search a man's heart. I examine his mind. Why? Well, here's why. Because together, they control our conduct. They control our deeds. What we do, what, what we say, how we, we act. The heart and the mind are the places where our actions originate. And so God searches my heart and God searches my mind. You see, you need to understand today, if you don't know it, you need to know before you leave, there is a battle raging for both the heart and the mind of every single human being. There's a battle right now for control of your heart. There is a battle for control of your mind. Now, you may ask, where did this originate in, in, 
in, in human beings? Where did it originate in, in, in us as, as people? Where it originated in the Garden of Eden with the first man and the first woman? You, you know the story. You've heard it before, how, how Satan came into the garden as a subtle serpent. And he tempted Eve. He caused Eve to doubt the Word of God and, and to eventually deny the Word of God. Listen to the story. I want you to listen to this. Here's Satan speaking to Eve. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now understand, this was Satan's strategy back then in the beginning And it is Satan's strategy today. Satan attacks our heart and Satan attacks our mind. He attacks us with our desires and he attacks us with our beliefs. And if he can get us to believe a lie, then he has us. And Paul warned us of this. He went all the way back to the garden and he told us that it is a battle for the mind. This isn't on your notes, but write this verse down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul says this. He said, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Did you hear that? How was Eve deceived? She was deceived in her mind. And Paul's concern was just as she was deceived in her mind... Satan led her to believe a lie that he can lead us to believe lies. Understand, Satan would much rather you think wrong than to do wrong. Let me say that again. Satan would much rather you think wrong than to do wrong because the thought is the father of deeds. What we think, we eventually do. That's why the Bible says, as a man thinks, that's who he is. A nutritionist will say, you are what you eat. But the Bible says, you are what you think. And when Satan gets us to believe lies, when Satan begins to get us to think on these lies, we become blind to the things of God. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Listen, this is why it is so important for you and I to believe God's Word. And this is why it is so dangerous for you and I to refuse to believe God. And what he says in his word, because the Bible tells us that when we refuse to believe what God says, our eyes become blind to the things of God. And he goes on to say that we become unable to see and we become unable to understand. In other words, our hearts become hard and our minds become dull 
to the things of God and to the will of God. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves believing the lies that Satan has planted. It lies like this. Well, the Bible isn't true. Uh, the Bible was written by man, and, and there are hundreds of contradictions in the Bible. I mean, look at it. The Bible doesn't make sense. And look at some of the things it says. They just can't be true. The Bible isn't true. There is no God. I mean, if there was a God, why would there be so much evil in the world? Why would there be so much chaos and so much suffering and so much pain? Sin isn't sin. Wrong isn't wrong. And we begin to believe the lies that Satan plants in us. And before long, we find ourselves completely blind. Now, notice how this sinful mind affects us. First, the sinful mind leaves God out of our decision-making. When our mind begins to be controlled by sin, we leave God out of our decision-making. Psalm 10, verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Don't miss that. There's no room for God. Our sinful minds are so filled with other things, things of this world, that we don't have room for the things of God. And when we leave God out, David said that we become proud and arrogant in our thinking. We get to that point where we think we know better than God. Next, the sinful mind leads us to do what we know we shouldn't do. And let me say that. When we leave God out of our thinking, it's not long before we begin to do things that in our heart... We know we're wrong. Listen to what Paul said in, in Romans chapter 1. He said, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. You see, when a person doesn't have room in their minds for God, it isn't long before they no longer retain a knowledge of God. And when that happens... The depraved mind takes over. And when the depraved mind takes over, we begin to call wrong, right. And we begin to call right, wrong. We begin to call bad, good. And we begin to call good, bad. And we find ourselves not only accepting, but embracing those things that God hates. How is it that America... In such a short amount of time, has found itself embracing a lifestyle, homosexuality, that is clearly taught in God's Word as sin. How is it that something that is so clearly, so obviously unnatural can be seen as just another Option. How does that happen? Well, our minds have become depraved. We, we no longer have room for God in our thoughts, and we no longer have room for God in our thoughts. We refuse to retain the knowledge of God, and when that happens, our depraved minds take over. And before we know it, the Bible teaches that the sinful mind eventually becomes completely Corrupt. That's what happened 
before the flood. Uh, Listen to what it says in Genesis 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on this earth had become. And listen to what it says. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Every thought, evil all the time. Can you imagine a world in which everything that comes out of your mind is evil, is wicked, is depraved? That's how it was before the flood. And I am convinced that we're moving back in that direction today. And understand, the sinful mind, when our minds don't have room for God and our minds become depraved and and our minds become totally corrupt, that makes us enemies of God. And it leads to death. In Romans 8, it says this, those who live following their sinful selves think only about things that their sinful selves want. If people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there is death. When people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, they are against God because they refuse to obey God's law and really are not even able to obey God's law. You see, when our minds are controlled by sins, we stand against God. And when you stand against God, when you stand against someone, that makes you an enemy of theirs. So we become an enemy of God. And when we stand as enemies of God, hear me, we will never win. And the result is death. And so hear me. Here's what happens. This battle for the mind that began in the garden and our mind was corrupted. If we're not careful, we will find ourselves having no room for God in our thoughts and our minds. And when that happens, we will discover that we no longer even retain a knowledge of God in the things of God. And our minds become completely depraved. And before we know it, Everything in our minds is completely depraved, evil, wicked, all the time. And when that happens, hear me, we are against God, an enemy of God, opposed to God, and the result is death. But there is good news. Here's the good news. God loves us, He will save us, and He can make us new. He can even take our minds and make us new. I love the passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Most of us know the verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's, It's not through work so that no one could boast. We are His workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Those are verses that that a lot of believers have memorized. But listen to what it says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. In other words... Regardless of who we are, we used to be like that. We were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions, and our sins. All of us 
lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of what? Our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were nature by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved on our own, in our own power. We will always follow after our sinful desires. We will always have sinful thoughts. But the good news is, the good news is God can change that. He can take those of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. And He can resurrect us. He can give us a new life. He can give us a brand new start. We, we don't have to be controlled by our sinful desires and thoughts any longer. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 55. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Isaiah tells us there are two steps to victory in the mind. First of all, he says we have to turn from sin. Let the wicked forsake his way, the evil man his thoughts. We must turn from our sinful thoughts. We must turn from our sinful actions. The the Greek word in the New Testament for repentance, metanoia, literally means a change of mind. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is first and foremost a change in the mind that leads to a change in our actions. And we are told in Scripture that before we can ever experience God's power and God's grace in our life, we must turn from our sin, the sinful actions and the sinful thoughts. And so here's the thing, hear me. Until I acknowledge my sinfulness, I will never experience God's grace in my life. Until I acknowledge that I am broken and I am a rebel and I am a transgressor against God's laws, I will never discover the life-changing power of God. The very first thing I've got to do is acknowledge my sin and come to that point where I turn from it. Because notice what it says, let him forsake his evil ways and his evil thoughts. I have to come to that point in my life where I say, I no longer want to be controlled by these things. It's amazing. Over 30 plus years of of being a pastor, how many people I've talked to that have said, I I want to give my life to Jesus, but I don't want to turn loose of. And different people have different things. I've talked with people who are living in a sinful sexual relationship. It may be a man living with a woman who is not his wife or a woman living with a man who is not his wife. It, it could be a, a, a homosexual relationship. It could be a, a teenager that is having premarital sex. It doesn't matter what it is. But they say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And, and, and the sin is clear. It's obvious. And, and you go, okay, are you willing to turn from your sin? Yes. That means that, means that you're going to move out. You're, you're no longer going to live in this sinful relationship. They go, oh, wait a time. Time out. You mean I'm going to have to give up this to have Jesus? 
Well, my Bible teaches me that I've got to give up everything to have Jesus. I've got to be willing to turn from my sin, my self-centered ways, my sinful ways. And then once I turn from my sinful thoughts, my sinful actions, the Bible says that I turn to the Lord, to Jesus, who will have mercy on me. You see, I turn from sin. God I don't want to be in bondage to these habits and these thoughts and these words anymore. And we turn going, I need help. And when we turn, you know who we see? We see Jesus. And Jesus is on that cross with his arms open wide saying, come to me, all you who are weary, who are heavy laden with sin, and I'll give you rest. I'll set you free. You see, Jesus can change our life. But we have to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and a new mind. I will take away your heart, your stubborn heart of stone, and I will give you an obedient heart. Romans 12, 2 in the contemporary English version. I love how it says it because it says, Don't be like the people of this world. But let God change the way you think. Don't be like the people of this world. Instead, surrender your mind. Surrender your thoughts to Jesus. And let Jesus change the way you think. You say, I'm in bondage. I can't help the way I think. No, you may not be able to. But Jesus can change the way you think. If you humble yourself and surrender yourself and let him help you. But here's what you need to understand. Even though, even though we, we turn our hearts and our minds over to the Lord and, and he gives us a fresh start, a new beginning, we are born again. Even though that happens, the battle for our minds continues. Have you discovered that? I mean, if you're a believer, you have. In humility, perhaps in brokenness, you cried out to God asking Him to help you, to forgive you, to save you, to make you new. And, and when His forgiveness came over you, it was like a cleansing wash. And man, it made you feel good. But after a week or two, you discovered some of those thoughts you used to have, some of those habits that used to control you, they are trying real hard to creep back in. And that happens to all of us. And so since the battle is continuing to rage, how can we have victory day by day? Because that's the key. You see, Jesus will give us a new heart. He will give us a new mind. He will give us a fresh start. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be a battle. There is a continual battle. And so how do we have victory? Let me give you three things, and then we're going to close. Here's the first thing. I must let Christ be the ultimate authority in my life. If I want a continued victory, then Christ must be the ultimate authority. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 10. We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Did you get that? Every single thought needs to be taken captive and made obedient to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. Everyone in this room, everyone in the world has a world view. A world view is simply how we view the world. And every one of us has a world view. How we look at the world, how we determine right and wrong, good and bad, evil, and, and what is, is spiritual and what is not spiritual. Most of us, when we have come up with a world view, have set ourselves up in the center of the world. The world revolves around us. Not scientifically. That's not what I'm talking about. But intellectually, morally, spiritually, as far as how I determine what is right and what is wrong, I am at the center of the world. I determine what is right. And that always leads to trouble. You see, if you're going to be able to demolish the arguments of Satan, the things that Satan throws at you, you must allow God and his word to be your ultimate authority. Let me give you an example of worldly thinking that is intended for good and godly thinking. AA is an incredible organization that has helped many people. But here's what AA teaches. You come to an AA meeting, you stand up and you say, Hey, Rock, hey, I'm Rocky. I'm an alcoholic. Now, let me tell you. If I have been saved by Jesus Christ, that's not right. If I've been saved by Jesus Christ, here's what I say. I'm Rocky. I'm a child of God. I've been born again. I am an overcomer through the blood of Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he can give me victory over whatever attacks me. You see, when I allow the world to tell me that I am an alcoholic, I always will be an alcoholic, then I am more destined to fall back to that alcoholism. But when I realize that through the power of the Holy Spirit working in me, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I am changed from the inside out. My heart has changed. My mind has changed. And because they are changed, God can give me the power to have my actions changed. You see, I've got to let God's word be the final authority in everything. Not only what is right and what is wrong. Not only what is truth and what is error. But I've got to let God's word be the indicator of how I look at myself. Because hear me. There are a lot of people out there and a lot of spirits out there who want you to look at yourself in the wrong way. Here's the second thing you've got to do. You've got to fill your mind with pure thoughts. Here's what Paul said. Finally, brothers, 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The good news says, fill your minds. The living Bible says, fix your minds. Now, here's what most of us do. We fill our minds with garbage and we wonder why we struggle with dirty thoughts. Garbage in. Garbage out. You see, some of us here today need to make the commitment that we're going to change what is coming into our mind. Now, there's some things you can't control. There are billboards beside the road that you're going to pass that, I mean, the enemy can use to put thoughts in our mind. We can't control what is on a billboard. But here's what I know. I can control what is on my TV set. I can control what is on my computer screen. I can control what books I read. I can control all of those things. And so I fix my mind on the positive things, the godly things, the good things. And as I change my habit of thinking from evil, dirty, wicked, no good... To the things of God, all of a sudden I discover that the way I'm thinking changes. And then there's a third thing. And that is I focus on the eternal, not on the temporal. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. When we focus primarily on what's here and now, we will always struggle. Here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that whatever happens here is nothing compared to what we have for all eternity. And, and so if, if my taking a stand for Christ causes me to miss out on what some perceive as opportunities down here that are temporal, is it not worth it when we realize that we have the eternal To look forward to. We need to set our mind on what is above. On Jesus. On the things of God. On our eternal destiny as believers. And as we do, that can become a filter that changes our thinking. Now listen. On your own, you can reprogram your mind. You really can. I mean, if you go to the internet and, and type in reprogram the mind, you're going to have a number of secular sites pop up that will tell you how to change your stinking thinking. There's a lot of them out there. And there are things that you can do to change the way you think, the way you perceive certain things. But here's what I know experientially And here's what I know biblically. We will never be able to change our mind completely on our own. Only God can do that. And there are some of you here today, you've been trying and trying and trying to change your thoughts. And you're not going to be able to until you humble yourself and surrender yourself to Jesus. 
And once you do that, you've got to realize that every day you have to submit to his authority, the authority of his word, or Satan's going to come in as an angel of light and deceive you. You've got to make sure that you remain focused on pure, holy, godly thoughts and focus on the eternal, not on the temporal. And all of a sudden, because you have a changed heart, and a changed mind. And you're putting into practice the things that God tells us in His Word. You discover, wow, my thinking has changed. I no longer even desire those things in my mind. Can I give you an example? When I totally surrendered my life to the Lord, I had been involved in some lifestyle choices that were wrong. I was involved in a fraternity and we were doing everything that you hear that fraternities do, not the good social things, but the, the party animal things. And, um, and I wasn't living the way that I needed to live. And I surrendered my life to the Lord. I mean, He just got my attention. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, overwhelmed by guilt and shame, I surrendered it all to him and told him I needed it. And he received me. But I got to tell you, I still struggled at times with the desire to drink. I really did. I, I, now, for some of you, it, that may not have been how it was, but for me, man, I still struggled. I would get around these friends and they would be having fun partying and and I'd give in. And all oh, the shame. <laughs> it was terrible. And I would repent and I'd ask the Lord to forgive me. And he would tell me, I forgive you, I love you. But it seemed like there was this battle until I made some decisions. I had to quit listening to the word and the world and start listening to the word. I, I couldn't. Listen to what people said. I had to listen to what God's Word said. I had to change the way that I thought. And I had to focus on the eternal. When I did that, all of a sudden, let me tell you. I have no desire to go out and get drunk. Now, that makes some of you happy. Going, man, if the pastor did, I'd be really up concerned and upset. We'd have to have a special business meeting. But the fact of the matter is, is over time, I mean, not only did my heart's desire change, but... My mind changed on that because God reprogrammed those things. And God can do that with you. He can give you the victory. You see, what you need is not a better resolution. What you need is not more willpower. You need God's power working in you and through you and for you, doing what you can't do for yourself. And when you admit you can't and you cry out to Him, He'll work on your behalf. Would you bow your head with me? With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you, you say, Rocky, I need that. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I know that I've been trying to do it on my own. And I'm not talking about recommitting your life right now. I'm saying all of your life, you've been trying to do it on your own. You've been self-sufficient. You finally come to that point that you realize you're never going to be set free in your own power. 
You're never going to discover victory on your own. If that's where you are, then I want to encourage you to humble yourself to Jesus before Jesus right now. Acknowledge you need Him. That you're a sinner. That your best is not good enough. And receive His grace and allow Him to change you. You you can pray this prayer if that's where you're at. Dear Lord, I come to you today admitting I'm a sinner. I've known it for a long time. I just didn't want to admit it. I know that I'm never going to have victory on my own. I need you. Forgive me for my sin. Save me. Give me a new heart. Give me a new mind. Change me from the inside out. Fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. This moment, I'm giving it all to you. I'm yours. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. There are others of you here who are believers. You know it. But you are in bondage. You are overwhelmed by stinking thinking. Your heart desires one thing, but then your mind is deceived and you fall to sin. And you need to let God's word be your authority. You need to change what you're allowing to come into your mind. You need to focus on the eternal and let that guide and direct you. And so right now, if that's where you're at, I want to encourage you to just recommit yourself to to the Lord right now. Resurrender your mind to Him. Make the commitment to let His Word be your authority. Make the commitment to remove the junk that you're putting in your mind. Replace it with godly things. Make the commitment to focus on the eternal. Father, we come to you longing to be in the center of your
praise and worship. Your word. Good, godly things. We're making the commitment to focus on the eternal. Father, give us the victory, I pray. Amen.